Mark Stelter, who actually started the series, is going to wrap up the series for us. And uh, Mark was a professor in Houston for a while, as as well as many other things. I'm sure you could talk to him about that, but um, he, he's done a lot of stuff, it seems like. And uh, uh, But he uh, wrote a book also uh, called The Gospel According to Christ, and uh, and so there's a lot of this stuff in there. A lot of he has... Um, goes through the parables and goes through the Beatitudes and all these kind of things. And so um, I thought it was it would be great for him to kind of start the series and then end the series, kind of give us a, a little summary too. So uh, I'm going to ask Mark to come up and uh, excited to hear from him today. Well, um, as Zach said, I had the honor of opening this series um, and, I, and I did the um, parable of the prodigal son. And today we're going to do the parable uh, of the workers late to the vineyard. And in the parable of the prodigal son, you remember there's the lost son and he goes off and he squanders his wealth, but he comes home and, and uh, God forgives him or his father forgives him, uh, treats him just uh, equally with his, with his older brother who had been there the whole time and who had never strayed. Uh, well, at least he'd never strayed in his brother's own mind, but <laughs> who had been there and uh, and, and God just treats him with grace and unconditional love. Uh, and in the parable uh, that we're going to look at today, it's very similar. The um, workers in the vineyard, uh, it's a parable also about uh, undeserving grace and unmerited love. And yes, um, there is a pattern. I, I like these kind of parables. Um, and uh, so let's, let's look at it. Um, it is in Matthew... Um, I think Matthew 20, yeah, 1 through 15. And it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Um, So you can see it's similar to uh, uh, the the parable of the prodigal son. Um, And why do I like those kind of parables, these lost sons and and the workers late to the vineyard? I think, you know, for three reasons. Um, One, I think this message of unearned grace is a central message, if not the central message, of the Gospels. 
Um, secondly, I think this is a message that we can, at least I, seem forever uh, incapable of remembering, that I always forget this. I always want to earn something, to prove something, to do something great for the kingdom, to do something that will earn me uh, some place in heaven, um, or at least earn me um, the admiration of God, or the respect, or the the an attaboy um, from God. Um, so we seem incapable of, of learning this message about unconditional love. And I think the third reason I like it is that I am the prodigal son, um, and I am the worker late to the vineyard, and so it resonates um, <clears throat> with me. Um, and and the, the parable of the workers late to the vineyard seems so counterintuitive also, I think, to us. It's the opposite of how we conduct our normal business relationships, um, probably a good thing, or we'd go broke um, <laughs> if we paid workers that way, the way that God does. But, you know, this is not a parable about labor relations. Um, this is a parable about salvation. So this is a parable, uh, not necessarily how you should treat your employees, um, but how God treats us as his children and how he treats us for purposes of salvation. Um, I think it strikes us odd, though, or even offensive, because it seems unfair to the workers who worked all day, and they only got paid the same as the workers um, who came late. And our culture is full of all kinds of, um, all sorts of uh, 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 little sayings that we have that, that remind us that it's all about, you know, you, you get what you deserve. And an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Uh, there is no free lunch. My mom used to say that all the time. <clears throat> but then she'd give me a free lunch, so I don't know. <laughs> At least until I was 18. <clears throat> You've got to earn it. Um, the early bird gets the worm. To the victors go the rewards. You snooze, you lose. <laughs> what goes around comes around. And quid pro quo. Um, and, you know, these are, these are things that our culture um, drills into us. And probably, as I said, probably for good cause, for good reason. But they're not the way we should look at salvation. They might be the way we would look at how to get ahead in life, how to, how to be successful, but not how we're saved. Um, and so I think it's so inconsistent that sometimes we think maybe we've misinterpreted this parable. Or maybe it's just a strange parable, maybe just one of those kind of parables that's in there that's not consistent with the rest of the Gospels. Um, even when I was researching this, I even saw some scholars who had said, I think, some silly things like, well, maybe what happened was the workers who were late, even though they were late, they worked harder than the other workers. Like, I don't think that was the message. <laughs> Um, but that's how desperate we are to try to find some, you know, quid pro quo. Um, so I read the rest of the Gospels and found that this parable is, of course, uh, not inconsistent with them, but very consistent with them, such as the parable of the lost sheep, which we'll go back to. I think. We'll go forward to it. <laughs> I don't know how Aaron does this. Okay. And we know the parable of the lost sheep, which says, suppose you have 99 sheep and you lose one. There it is. Maybe I should just put this down and Jeff will do it. 
and you lose one of them. Don't you go out and you look for the others until you find it. And when you find it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Uh, That's pretty powerful. Um, The lost coin is very similar. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And then Jesus says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The parable of the lost son, we already have, we know that one. And we, we remember at the end, the father says, My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And there are others. There's the parable of the great banquet where this uh, king has a banquet and he invites all the righteous people, or the self-righteous people, um, to town, all the important people, but they can't come. They all have excuses why they can't make it to the banquet because, you know, they're righteous and righteous people are busy. They're, they're busy doing righteous things. So <clears throat> they can't go. So the king tells the servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Again, you know, bringing in the undeserving uh, to this banquet. Um, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there are, this parable is very consistent with the rest of the parables in the Gospels. But you might say, well, okay, These parables are mostly from the Gospel of Luke. So maybe Luke was just a guy who was very uh, concerned about grace and unmerited salvation. Maybe Luke needed it more than than I do. (laughs) Um, So, you know, maybe it's just Luke. So I looked at other places in the Gospels. So I said, well, what uh, what about the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount? What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? So let's look at that. He says, Blessed are the righteous, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are satisfied, they will be comforted. Blessed are the powerful, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for revenge, for they will be filled. Blessed are the just, for they will be shown mercy. Now that, that's not what it says. <laughs> right? You know that. Um, you young guys out there, that's not what that really says. <laughs> Here's what it really says. Hopefully. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the Sermon on the Mount is also a little counterintuitive to what we might think. I mean, maybe that first version of it that I wrote is more what we might think. Um, Certainly seems to be what I think sometimes, you know, blessed are the great and powerful and wonderful, you know, America. You know, people mess with us, they're going to get bombed. Um, We don't talk about the meek, right? I used to work at a law firm in Houston, and they used to have a joke there. They did a lot of work for oil companies, and they said, well... The meek may inherit the earth, but Exxon will have the, the mineral rights. Um, <laughs> so, um, but um, maybe, maybe the Sermon on the Mount and the parables are just uh, messages for those of us who aren't, you know, quite as righteous as, as some of us. Maybe just for those of us who aren't, uh, you know, good enough to really live up to all the high demands that, that, that Jesus places on us. Maybe those who just aren't quite good enough Christians to lift the heavy moral burdens that Jesus places on us. Um, Surely, you know, the great heroes of the Bible have been righteous, wonderful people. So, I looked at some of the heroes, some of the great men and women in the Bible. Let's see some of these guys. Adam, okay, (laughs) disobeyed God and curses us all with original sin, so kind of a Not exactly a success story. Um, Eve, see Adam. Um, Abraham, the father of the faith, denies that Sarah is even his wife so that he could gain all kinds of benefits when he was traveling around and did a lot of other things that weren't so savory. Uh, Sarah sends her stepson, Ishmael, off into the desert, possibly to die, um, decides she doesn't want her stepson around anymore because uh, uh, that wasn't her son. And um, to this day, the, the, uh, the bad relationships that there are in the Middle East have to do with Ishmael uh, being sent off. The, the uh, Muslims relate very much to Ishmael, think he's the, the true, the, the right path to follow. Uh, Moses was a murderer. Aaron... Builds the golden calf to worship uh, instead of God, not our Aaron. Moses' brother Aaron. <laughs> Aaron didn't build a golden calf. He did it when he was in Hawaii. I don't know. Man. <clears throat> I don't think so. Um, but this, this is after, after God parts the Red Sea and leads the people out of, out of captivity in Egypt. And what is Aaron? He builds a golden calf. Um, but that's, you know, that's okay. He's not any worse than the rest of us. He's just a human, a fallen human. Um, Jacob cheats his brother Esau out of his rightful inheritance. Um, David commits adultery with Bathsheba and then has her husband killed because, you know, Bathsheba gets pregnant. Um, So, you know, uh, Solomon, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, had 700 wives and 300 concubines and worship idols uh, in his older days. I'm not sure how wise you can be if you want to have 700 wives, but... Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And Paul, of course, persecutes Christians before he sees the light on the road to Damascus. And that's not to to say that these guys were particularly 
fallen or bad people, worse than we are, is, is, is to say that they, they are heroes. They are great men of the Bible, but not because of who they are, but because of who God is. Not because they were great men, but because they believed in a great God. Um, so, I don't want to belabor this, but I'm going to, uh, because <laughs> I think it is so important, and I think it's, it's central to the Gospels, and I think it's a message that we miss a lot, especially those of us who do come to church and who are um, faithful Christians. Uh, I, you know, sometimes we get to be like the older brother in, in, the, uh, in, in the parable of the prodigal son. So I think it, it is so important. I mean, after all, someone as intelligent and devout as Martin Luther He's a Catholic priest and a theologian, and one day it dawns on him, hey, this is all about faith and grace. This isn't about earning my salvation or how many prayers I say or any rituals I do. This, this is about faith and grace. And it, it's so, such a profound revelation that it starts 500 years ago, this, this year, I think, the Protestant Reformation. Um, so... What about some other things? Okay. For the law was given by note by Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. From Acts. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. That's Romans 3.20. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, Romans 3.22-24. Now the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Romans 5, 1, 2. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Romans eleven six. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Galatians 2.21. If we could earn righteousness just by following the rules and the Ten Commandments, Jesus didn't have to uh, come here and die on the cross and, uh, for our sins. He could have just came here and said, hey, follow the law, you'll be good. But that's not what he said. But because of this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Ephesians 2.4-5. And there are more. But... Um, I think, you know, you get the idea, which is that the message of Jesus is don't rely on your own merit. Um, and I think the entire Christian doctrine of salvation is based on amazing grace, unconditional love, unmerited, undeserved salvation. Now, that may not be the entire doctrine of justification or sanctification, or that we're not supposed to do good things, but we don't do the good things to get our salvation. We do the good things because we've been saved. And we're grateful. And we want to behave as Christians should behave. But that's not how we earn our salvation. I think when we look at Christianity as if, well, 
if you're a good person and you do all these good things, then you go to heaven. And if you're a bad person, then you get punished and you go to hell. We're really doing ourselves a big disservice because we're making Christianity then like all the other religions. We're making it um, like Judaism is or Islam. Those religions say that, that you do these things and then you go to heaven. If, you, if you're bad, you go to hell. And when Christians do that, uh, it's hard to explain to a Muslim or a Jew uh, how our faith is different. Because we sometimes ourselves forget that Christianity is different, that we are not saved by our works, that we're saved through the atoning death of Jesus Christ um, and through the grace of God, not through any rituals or good acts. Um, and I think it is hard for us to understand because it's so radical and so transformative and so countercultural and so different to what we're used to. Um, and I think we often miss it because we try to compare our worth to our fellow man. And when we do that, we think, well, I might not be perfect, but I'm a lot better than my neighbor. Um, I'm not like that guy, and so I'll, I'll probably be okay. Um, so, you know, but, but that's not how God judges. God doesn't judge on a relative scale of a how are you compared to your neighbors. He doesn't grade on a curve, right? He, he grades pass-fail. You know, do you believe in me as your Lord and Savior or not? Not, well, are you better than your neighbors? That's, that's not, not how he does that. We're competing not against our fellow man, um, but, but we are trying to go to a perfect place with a perfect God for all eternity. We're not going to a relatively good place with a relatively good God for a relatively long period of time. Um, we are, are, none of us are capable, none of us can possibly earn being in heaven with God for all eternity. I mean, no, think, no matter how good you are, if you're whoever the, the greatest person is you can think of, Mother Teresa, whoever it is for you, did they really, are they that good that they earned to live with God for all eternity in heaven? I mean, maybe Mother Teresa deserved to live with God for like a couple hours. That would be nice. If I could, you know, hang out with God for a couple hours, that, w- that would be amazing. But for all eternity? No one earns that. Nobody deserves that. Um, it's like trying to, you know, to jump to the top of, of Long's Peak. Um, now, maybe I can only jump like three feet off the ground. And, and maybe Zach, you know, Zach, maybe he can jump five feet. And maybe Aaron... Aaron can jump an amazing six feet off the ground because he's Aaron. But, um, you know, that's good for Aaron, but he still has a mere 14,256 feet to go (laughs) to get to the top of Long's. Um, So we need a Savior. I think that is is the message. And, you know, we always try to earn it. Um, Henry Nguyen wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, and he tells the story that he says a true story in the book, where a young priest, who's just, he just became a priest, and he's reporting to his mentor, his older priest, um, and, and he tells the older priest, he says, look, you know, I've um, performed five marriages and eight baptisms, and I've listened to 50 confessions, um, and, the, and the young priest asks the older priest, so now what should I do? And the older priest says, stop counting. Um, <laughs> um, but I think most of us are even you know, worse than the young priest. I, I think we not only believe we've earned our way to heaven, but that our neighbors have earned their way to hell. Um, <laughs> right? Um, kind of like, maybe we're more like the story about the Russian peasant. Um, there's a Russian peasant. Could be any of us, though. 
And a genie comes to this peasant and says, I'll grant you one wish. I'll give you whatever you want, anything in the world you want, on one condition. Your worst enemy has to get twice as much. So the peasant thinks about it and says, okay, poke out one of my eyes. (laughs) Um, But are we like that? Sometimes. Um, Do you know people who say, if my ex-wife is in heaven, I don't want to go there? Or my ex-husband? Then I don't don't even want to be there. Um, Or my boss? Or my former boyfriend, or girlfriend, or brother, or sister? Or if they have Catholics there, I don't want to go there. Or liberals, or conservatives, or homosexuals. Um, When we limit who we're going to go to heaven with, we pretty much end up alone. (laughs) And if we're there alone, it can't be heaven. It'd be more like hell. Um, Somebody once said that um, to understand Christianity, and and this is hard to accept, but I think they're right. He said, to understand Christianity, you have to come to the realization that maybe it's it's possible that Adolf Hitler is in heaven. Uh, Wow. I mean, I, I don't think it's likely, but maybe. I mean, it's possible, right? And, and why do I think it's possible? Because it's not about Hitler. It's not about Hitler. It's about God. Um, it's not about how Hitler's, uh, it's not anything about Hitler's merit. It's about God's love. So it's not about how horrible Hitler was, but about how wonderful God is, if he chooses to be, if he wants to be. I'm not saying Hitler is in heaven, <laughs> but I'm saying it's possible. Anything is possible with God. And I'm also saying, I don't know. Um, who's in heaven is a decision above my pay grade. Right? Um, and, and I think sometimes Christians like to go around deciding who's in heaven, but that's not our job. <laughs> um, God never told us that we're supposed to go and decide who's going to heaven. Uh, and so I know this, though. I, I refuse to limit God's power. I don't think anyone can be um, too evil to be in heaven if God chooses that. I don't think anyone can be too Catholic or too gay or too much of a drinker or too proud or too rich or too poor or too much of a dancer or a smoker um, or any of that. Because I think when we do that, we're not just being pejorative about those people. We're not just being pejorative to the person who we're deciding is evil. We're also insulting God. Because we're not only saying, you, you're not good enough to go to heaven. We're saying, God's not powerful enough. God's not strong enough to, to, to let you go to heaven, to put you in heaven, if he so desires. So, I think there could be no really greater mistake than to do that, than to say, you, you're not going to go to heaven. Because when you're doing that, you're saying something about God. Not just something about that sinner, but something about God. And I think God is capable of anything. I think God could save Hitler and Stalin and Mao. That he could save, you know, the kid who made fun of me in junior high school. Um, (laughs) um, The relative who borrowed $1,000 from me and never paid it back. Um, I think he could save that man or that woman that you gave all of your love to and that they abused that and betrayed you and never returned that love. He could save them. Um, I think he can even save the person, although it's a close call, in line in front of me in Safeway, <clears throat> who waits until everything, all of her groceries are rung up, and then she begins looking for her lost checkbook in her purse. It's like, can't you get that out while they're ringing up the groceries? You know, start writing Safeway on there. 
Even her. I think God can even save her, maybe. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, to conclude, um, I found a passage that was really helpful to me because all the time I'm asking myself, God, what do I need to do? What should I do? How can I serve you better? How can I be a better person? How can I be a better Christian? How can I go to heaven? Um, and I was looking through the Bible, and of course people ask Jesus this, and he gives an answer. Um, he answers this question, so there's an answer right there, and it's a really comforting answer. Um, they asked him, what, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Wow, I can do that. Well, usually, <laughs> um, that's, that's hard too. But I can, that's, that's much easier than a long list of rituals and things I need to do. Jesus said, don't, you don't need to do that. You need to do this. Believe in the one he has sent. Um, okay, let's close in prayer. Um, this prayer comes from the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's very short and simple, and that's, here it is. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen. Um, just a few things, if you could take out that commitment card, connection card in your bulletin. A few things that you can be uh, thinking about and commit to this week. Uh, first one is just to memorize that passage, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. And um, know that there's that memory verse card in your bulletin. You can just put that in your pocket, put it somewhere that you're going to um, know where it is, that you can look at it this week. Um, second thing you could do uh, is read Philippians 4, 4 through 13. And a uh, great passage there. You know, it seems every time I read a scripture, um, not every time, but most times, um, I could be reading the same scripture, and I could have read it a hundred times, but uh, something else that God wants me for wants for me that day could stick out, and um, um, sometimes it's life changing. So I um, implore you to read Philippians four fourteen four through thirteen. Uh, another thing is rejoice that you're saved by grace. Uh, thank God that uh, God gives us grace, and um, commit to share that joy with as for, as being a Christian for others. You know, so many. Sometimes it's easy for us to, uh, um, easy for us to uh, go through life and and uh, not be joyous, <laughs> right? And uh, especially, you know, doing all the doing everything uh, as Christians uh, just to do it and, uh, and not really experiencing the joy in it. And uh, and so I uh, ask you guys to find a joy in uh, doing God's work and, uh, and to share that with others. So we're going to pray for the offering um, before it's passed, and then we're going to sing one more song t- uh, the, this morning before we head out. Lord, we uh, thank you um, again for your grace um, that you have given us. It's nothing that we have done, but it's all that you have done um, to save us. And Lord, um, We pray that as we take this offering, uh, that everything that we give this morning uh, would be um, put into your kingdom and just, just, just do awesome things uh, with these ties and these offerings and Lord these commitments as well. And we want to pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen.